Hey everyone, welcome to the third episode of the Convergence Podcast. Today's guest is PC Vikram, an industry veteran with 25 years in the entertainment industry. I met him for the first time at the start of the year and we hit it off immediately talking about our shared appreciation of art and design as well as the books that inspire us. And in this episode, we catch up and talk about his experiences over the past couple of decades and how he's constantly trying to learn new things and how those experiences translate over to him building teams for some really big projects and as well as teaching the next generation of artists. This was a really fun episode and hope you all get some value out of it and enjoy it. What a proper podcast setup. Yeah, I mean, I'm just learning slowly getting into this podcasting world. The whole reason was like I was telling you earlier, it was just to start getting back into interacting with other artists because it had been so long. Generally, right. in the studio and stuff like that, I always keep going around talking to other people. So I was kind of missing right. out on that. So I thought we'll resume. No, absolutely. Those coffee conversations, spur of the moment. Yeah, exactly. That helps quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. You don't know what's going on in my head, and what's up with you and somewhere ideas come and match and a conversation arises. Yeah, exactly. So what's the format? How how are you doing this? It's like, is it like a series of questions or is it like just general banter? No, it's, it's just general banter, casual talk. I don't want to make it too structured or something like that. It's just like if perfect. we were to meet up somewhere in a cafe or a bar or something, you just start talking. It's pretty much like that. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I remember when I, are, you, are we on already? Yeah, we're on. We're on. Oh, excellent. I remember that, you know, like when I met you initially and stuff, there was like a million questions in my head with this ominous cloud of uh, uh, lockdown also coming in basically yeah. i think we grabbed the last last beer before lockdown <laughs> That's and true. i think i've been able to sit and answer a lot of these questions in this solitude basically mm-hmm. you know hence my even the 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 one of the main things is of course the internet it's the superpower that all of us have basically today and specifically i couldn't imagine something like this if this was two decades ago yeah right I can't even perceive what it would have been. It will take me a whole day to just sit and dwell upon that thought of what life would have been. Uh, not connected, but yet needing to be in a job in order to learn. So many things would have come to a grinding halt, basically, which hasn't happened, which is fantastic. Yeah, and especially for someone like you, I mean, you've been working for what, 20, 25 years or something like that. And it has yeah. drastically changed from that time, right? I mean, it's completely different. Yeah. Yeah, trust me with this. That with what I'm seeing today, basically, it's not a boast or anything to say that I've been working for 25 years. I think the reset button is hit. I feel like I'm just in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I did a bunch of things for 25 years, but it's just that it's I'm really getting to. I think I would say that I'm getting to learn uh, the things that I love the most only now in this era. Okay. Is that because the tools right. have like suddenly caught up know. to such a point where you can do everything basically yourself yep. to a point, right? Yep. Yep. It's intuitive. It's uh, It offers both. It offers both approaches. One is you could be a complete non-artist and learn art. You could be the artist who doesn't know anything about tech and learn a software before you even learn your computer fully, basically, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing which is like, a, what do you say, a, pre, a set, a preset, uh, requirement that you uh, need in order to go from zero to something. Because I see this, I keep saying this that you know this is a generation that's born in Blender. Yeah. Uh, especially after I watch Beacon 
20. I don't know if you watched it, the little one hour snippet that they had. It was like a snippet, right? Everybody spoke a little, and uh, I really felt that, you know, something as massive as that is like uh, indeed generous. It's a blessing, as well as uh, encourages so many people. Apparently, a couple of million new users just during this lockdown oh and adding on. Yeah. Yeah, a lot that's of like, my friends like also. Most po- yeah. I mean, who weren't even into 3D prior to this period exactly. suddenly got into exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm meeting up people like that as well, which is that people who are not into 3D, people who are into something else needed an application to do something. Somebody pointed them towards this. There was a ready-made tutorial, so they didn't even learn the software. They just followed the steps 1 to 18. They did something with it, and then that piqued their curiosity, and they got inside. Mm-hmm. So that's a fantastic way of getting into a software. Who would have ever thunk? You know, it's like that. So I would always, my learning in uh, Maya or ZBrush or anything was always limited. My life in 3D ended in grayscale at the point of time, you know. And I didn't progress it further because it would take that much more time to see your results in color. Yeah. And now here I am working with material on one side as I'm, you know, like tweaking a Boolean and shaping my uh, surface, right? And that's just amazing. So I can I can noodle just the material for a little while and then just come back and say, hey, let's finish that model first. So it's not it's not something that is uh, bifurcated, which is intuitive, which is the nature of art, is what I really feel. I keep saying this, like in uh, in Mike, I think Mike Mignola, uh, uh, Mike Mignola wrote a four note for uh, the DC Comics uh, guide to inking, saying that penciling and inking are one and the same, just separated at childbirth for a production purpose to make things fast. Oh, wow. And with, which, which is what I felt always about modeling and texturing. I prefer to call it surfacing, but texturing, right? So which is that it is for a production pipeline that things get split. Today, I'm back in a company working with Redefine. And I'm seeing that I have to approach each one of these departments. And I'm like, why? And I'm like, okay, fine. That's how a production pipeline is, basically. So when you're working for yourself with these uh, new tools, such as Unreal, Blender, it does encourage you to know everything. So back back in the day, people would probably say you can't know everything of everything. You actually can right now. But there's also that aspect, right, where there are some people who are so technically inclined, they just dive yeah. deeper into that one particular thing, like surfacing, as you say, or maybe building out shaders or node structures or going Absolutely. super deep into modeling. Absolutely. But here's my question. As a school kid, did you just play one sport always or did you try try out everything a little till you got better at particularly one, right? Yeah. And you still probably play cricket or basketball or table tennis more than the other things. But you could always play the other things because you are familiar with them, mm-hmm. right? So if you're out on the beach and everybody's playing football, obviously you would participate. The core was that you're an athlete or you're a sports person, right? Even if you're a hobbyist in, in 3D today, there are such beautiful things that one can, uh, you know, do for oneself. I'm talking about finishing a complete product for yourself. That's the beauty of it today. You yeah. could start out with a simple model. Your modeling ability may not be too complicated because you're simple. You're just a beginner in art. I'm talking about the novice who gets into college, starts learning how to sharpen the pencil, but also picks up something like Blender on the side. Uh, I'm saying that it allows everybody within their capacity to be the best which is fantastic and gives you a complete finish. Hey, look, I made this. That's appeal. true. And because the tools are so accessible now, I mean, I, even at a very, very early stage, you can collaborate with other people because the tool is right. basically free. So 
that Very ability that's the unbelievable things. part about it yeah that you always think that someday they're all going to charge you something for it hmm that that's actually <laughs> like a genuine concern like what if suddenly blender is no longer free what's going to happen then because such a power no, i can i can tell you a couple of months ago out of a bad spell of uh, work from last year and you know much money owed to paying people because i didn't get paid uh went through a very uh, difficult patch with monies uh continuing an adobe license for a month was a question for me oh, it hit God. that rock bottom right okay. at that time is where i actually picked up blender and though there was like blender was a beautiful ethos where you know it's full of avance and like that for me the scenic route of figuring out the longest way of doing something and then shortening the time for myself and working with the only things that were absolutely free within that i was working with sketchbook pro I was working with these are absolutely after all tools right but you discover something better inside yourself once you're given a constraint i think it's a beautiful uh, necessity for design that you operate within constraints that's true that um, also allows you to understand that tool at a deeper level because if it's just a surface level that you're already getting for free or from tutorials or something like that it's very easy to learn that but if you're limited to that one particular tool then you need to learn every single aspect of that so that you can maximize yeah. it yep so tell me about something which is interesting which is how we started talking which is your film and your work and uh, what is tell me a little more about it in terms of one there was a thought process to it there's a creative process mm-hmm. and there were the tools basically and then through finding the tools probably you found more friends or you already had a network i do not know so tell me a little i think the network of people i would say was kind of in place already but there was nothing that i could actually collaborate with on a larger scale because i was just doing say environment concepts and stuff like that and i mean to an extent you can collaborate on that as well like maybe two three people get together and do a series of paintings but last year i was kind of getting bored doing that same repetitive process because the tools were the same techniques were the same and it got to a point where of course you'll just keep getting better at painting or generating concepts but i wanted to get into more story and narrative aspect of things and that's when i started kind of storyboarding this idea and the main intention was to kind of bring back some of the ideas which i had while i was studying architecture but i did not know the mm-hmm. tools at that time so the ideas were purer in a sense so yeah i mean that's how it kind of started right so while you won't give away the story yet because it's largely visual mm-hmm. you can what what are all your influences like architecture who who are the architects that you aspired or looked into so what are all the things that you're throwing inside this yeah i mean okay i don't want to take up too much time because i want to get to know your story as well so i'll just go no i'm very curious my story is part of uh, everybody that i meet so awesome okay it'll probably the conversation would expand i could relate definitely so yeah i mean there is this master japanese architect tadao ando i don't know if you have seen his work I mean a lot of people must have I I remember I remember you mentioning his name and let me write it down yeah you send it to me definitely I'll yeah. I'll send you his work I mean he's been working for a very long period of time and he's like one of the star architects basically the star architects and he has this brilliant sense and aesthetic where he's combining raw concrete forms with beautifully designed japanese aesthetics so it's like blending that bridge between the japanese sensibility and the modernistic sensibilities and kind of creating that new product out of that and of course he's been refining it over many decades now so that was one of the biggest inspirations that i had from a very long time and yeah that was also kind of playing into the sci-fi minimal aesthetic that i tend to go towards 
naturally. So yeah. those are a co- couple of the things. I think, I think that right there, you answered me. I think that is one of the most common points, the fact that we spoke all this, because I come from a family of architects as well. Oh, yeah. And I think that's how my interest got peaked when you're talking about these things. Though I don't know much about it than other than early introduction as a kid in my uncle's office to various uh, you know architects through books and his my uncle's own narration of uh, design as to what it was. And I, then I could just see through my eyes that there are architects and there are those who aren't architects when I used to look at the city. <laughs> I used yeah. to always be puzzled as a kid as to why don't we have organized blocks? Why don't we have design as a functional element? When I grew up close to Pondicherry in Chennai, there's an exact half of Pondicherry which would be in perfect blocks mm-hmm. as designed by the French. The French, yeah. And there's the rest of Pondicherry which used to look like anywhere else in Tamil Nadu. Okay, as chaotic as possible. And you actually cross any one of those little bridges or little streets to get to that side, which is the uh, which is the ashram side, not Oroville, ashram, uh, towards the beach. It was amazing. You could see the distinct change. Everything was organized. Everything was pleased, pleasing to the eye. Though our country is beautiful with its chaos, I still like that, you know, this organized chaos is interesting, basically. So, I think it's like nice. um, those pockets of organized spaces in Pondicherry, for example, stand out so much compared to the rest of the city planning. So that makes it even more enticing in a way, which maybe it might not if you're in a city which is completely planned. Because for Chandigarh, yeah. for example, which was designed by Le Corbusier. Corbusier. And yeah. that's like the city is completely planned to such a high degree, but it also gets repetitive after some time because every True. crossing looks the same. So that's like that yeah. dynamic, right? Yeah, which is again another problem sometimes when I've been outside the country that very, if I've been in perfectly designed places, dude, I couldn't tell where I am in the middle of the night when I'm searching <laughs> for where I have to go to. <laughs> so familiar landmarks or, you know, tea shops or things like that, that we look out for in our country. We've kind of learned to read uh, through all this chaos and our, we have a beautiful chaos system over here and we have our own uh, user experience that goes through it, basically. And there are things that we look for because we don't look up to ever see street symbols, signs, or you know, cross of the road or something. We ask people. That's the way we interact our country. Yeah. I think we got so used to that, right? Even today, your delivery guys, Swiggy or uh, Dunzo, do that. They just call you and say, "Where are you?" But I'm somewhere near the vicinity. It says. So this whole order chaos, chaos uh, breaking of chaos order is order required. All these are like pet subjects of interest for me, basically. And it's also more than just the visual, it's about the noise as well. Like, yeah. especially at night, the chaos and the noise attracts you towards maybe the city center or the quieter places. And then that noise directly reflects in the way the lighting is in that space. And then you know whether maybe it's a dangerous area or it's a uh, maybe like a buzzing area in the middle of the city. So that also starts influencing the way you're looking at that space. Completely. And how we have started using spaces has also changed completely, right? Generationally, this this shift has happened, I would say, over a decade and uh, since the onset of 2000s and then, you know, like, and then it's accelerating, basically. There are those of us, I don't I can't say it's me, per se. I think those of us who work only nights, right? Like, there are companies which work shifts and people work only in the nights and they know things in a different way completely. But back in the 80s and early 90s till mid-90s, probably everybody functioned around similar times. So 10 o'clock was late in the night. It was dark everywhere. Uh, they would shut down uh, a part of the grid and save on electricity. 
So now we are all talking about like having every place functional, 24 bar 7. I don't know if we're consuming a lot of power, changing the world in different ways, because this post-COVID world is something that is, I think that we're already discovering. Yeah. It's not, there's not going to be any one fine day that some of us are going to pop out like now, post apocalypse movie and say, hey, and look at the world together and say, oh, wow, it's changed. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that change is just happening as we move on a daily basis. I mean, even the way we yeah. work now is completely different because that barrier is broken in terms of people working from home or remotely or teams being in 10, 20 different locations and all collaborating together. Like you yourself working with Redefine, you have teams in LA, Mumbai, I don't know, UK, I'm guessing China. as well, China. So it's like so many China, different places. UK. How, yeah. how Two is sites that? in Canada. It's interesting uh, because if I had to have a conversation with somebody in London, as well as somebody from Vancouver and Montreal together. So it can only be at a certain time in our time zone, which is like I have to speak to them at around 11 o'clock and above in the night. So yeah, some some of, some of the great days end up at uh, 2 a.m. <laughs> with meetings. But it's interesting because the fact that I'm a big, uh, what do you say, champion of work from home, have been for the last several years and tried to push it as best as possible with uh, even the startup uh, companies that I used to be working with in Bangalore, for the pure reason that it's just becoming uh, impractical today to travel for an hour and a half and you know go, go to a place. And you start questioning the whole process of why couldn't I just get up? I could still just sit, start my computer, have a coffee, and get starting to work already, basically. It's just a question of being there mm-hmm. and intending to deliver. And if that alone, if the product alone is what matters, basically. Why do we? even go to a physical space is something like the employees could get larger benefits. Basically, you could pay me more for my, a little bit more for my electricity, save on your rent. It's as simple as that, right? And I see that this is something that's here to stay in larger ways, basically, even if not, because everybody has this uh, fear that out of face is out of mind, right? They believe that service, especially India is a country of service. It's, It's excellent in service, right? If it's hospitality, if it's anything today, like there is no reason that you need to walk into a cafe today and be vended coffee by a physical a person who's a barista. It could all be automated. Yeah. We're not even far away from that. It's all here, right? You could just put in a token or, you know, or, uh, just flash on scan. And basically, I had a weird such experience the day before yesterday when I went out to Indranagar's uh, third wave cafe. Okay. It had no people. It had probably one or two people sitting and a lot of the tables and chairs were upturned. And people are just coming out of the counter and buying and walking out. And everybody had the same curiosity looking at a space that they were so familiar with who would spend like hours in a day chatting, gossiping, working from, and looks so dead. And suddenly like, okay, I'm paying 230 bucks for this tiny cup of coffee. <laughs> that's, that's like a small exclamation mark. And obviously you're paying for the ambience to see and to be seen and to participate and you know, sit and gossip away. So spaces have changed also, right? So probably some of these are good basically because if people have extra money to spend, they will spend it. That's the theory, right? And if you don't have avenues to spend it in, well, you're going to be a spot richer and you're going to feel it soon over months. That's true. It'll, I mean, accumulate over time, definitely. It does. It does. I can feel it already. I can feel it so much more. Uh, If I want to blow away that excess, it's it's actually come to a point where I can actually wait on a scale and say, no, my... Uh, probably my the, the lady who works for me who does my uh, you know uh, housekeeping activities 
I could totally pay her more. I could actually ask her if her children are good. So I think the concern, the care and concern as humans has risen, basically. That we first ask if everybody is well. So I think some of those things are really good. People get to bond more with their families, even if not in person. Uh, and there are those, obviously, who live in you know houses filled with a lot of people who probably find it difficult also. They also want to move out a little and work. That's true. That's true. Although, do you yeah. miss that aspect of um, Never, seeing ever. your teammates face to face? No, I finished it. No, okay. I've done twenty years of that. I don't want to manage people. Yeah, there is that yeah. aspect also I because want... you have been doing this for a while, so that's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the seventies kid, right? So you were probably what eighties, nineties, nineties, nineties. So I like a lot of uh, uh, people from your generation who are a lot more aware and who value time a lot more, I suppose. Uh, and therefore also uh, have a lot more onus and it's easier for me to work with this generation if I can actually say so right okay. so I don't want to be hurting people I want to be working with like-minded people it's no boast or claim or fun to be a boss and sit alone on the seat giving everybody orders uh, like Steve Jobs said it I think which is that don't hire a professional or an expert and tell them what to do ask them how it's done I think intrinsically I used to follow that without having, you know, been uh, educated or coached in that, right? So to bring up people to a certain caliber and, you know, work with them is a treat, basically. I think that collaborative aspect is quite good because when you're working with people who are truly interested in what they're doing as well, it's just a good vibe in yeah. general. I, I hate working in teams where you need to force somebody or push somebody to do their part of the work. Exactly. And it just pulls down the energy everywhere. So it's always fun to collaborate with people who are into the work and also that aspect of friendly competition where you see somebody doing really well and then you're happy that the work is happening well but then you want to push yourself as well to learn yeah. some new things and you know go along that way yeah also in filmmaking like last year i was working with some people uh, friends from chennai who are filmmakers and working with them on something for hotstar uh, i've seen a little bit of uh, variety in this, the functioning style of certain production houses as well where it's live action, you're out on a set you're laughing, you're talking, nobody's a star, there are just functions right? somebody's in front of the camera, somebody's behind the camera somebody's holding up a boom, somebody's holding a reflector right? so everybody's having a little bit of fun chat and serious work, so I could also see that you know, even, in, even in these kind of situations how your balance of fun work comes in in order to deliver a great product, which is if you really need to, I think, deliver a fantastic product, uh, there's a level of being a surgeon, I say it, in a state of mind, which is that you're a little removed from what's happening around you. You're just focusing on what you're doing, basically. So you're in and out, basically. Mm -hmm. In person, in a physical space, when you're all working together, there are fabulous conversations because you're all human beings, first of all. Like we talk about everything to, you know, where did you buy the gene or where did, you, where did you buy this, whatever, you know, phone cover to anything, right? And one sparks off the other. And it's fantastic. We're all constantly exchanging tons of information which we need and we don't need perhaps, right? But that's the thriving of a human, basically, who's a social person. But for the purpose that we've come together for, which is work and do something efficiently and then go get your own time and delve into your own interests, which are uninfluenced by anybody else, right? I think this is a great time. That's a good point. That's to, a very good point, yeah. 
having that clear boundary in terms of what is the company or studio time and what is your time to develop yourself for whatever aspect it may be that's right. that's quite a true thing then right. so for you probably it's like you're fresh off the boat still like it's like you did you did architecture then you went and further educated yourself in singapore at fzd and then you came back and you started working so you've been on a stream of college to your initial years of work still you've not hit the first fatigue point where you say fuck it i want to quit at all right? yeah definitely not so, there yet <laughs> right so yeah somebody my friends would joke with me saying that you left so many jobs that you could be starting your own art of leaving right <laughs> so yeah so when but again i find it very important that to get out of the work fatigue take some people short time some people no time some a person like me a lot of time because i used to be very passionately involved with the companies i've literally built companies since inception so for me that fatigue was pretty heavy and always at the end of the day when you look at your pockets and you look at what have you built for yourself you find that time is the largest component that you can't bring back money goes money comes i mean it doesn't matter like as long as you got good people around you it almost doesn't matter right you got your bills covered you got your future slightly covered then you're good but what really matters is that what have you done with that time and who have you worked it for are you only working on other people's ideas and dreams or are you chipping away somewhere like a mutual fund and your own and i can only say that from a decade that i could have saved if i was to go back and give the younger me an advice mm-hmm. is that to watch out about that aspect talking about like yeah. building up companies from the beginning like you were heavily involved in the milli images and milli tunes setup back in the day maybe you can talk a bit about Correct. how that experience was right i think i could say very much that i was one of the lucky people of let's say 1000 10000 at the most i don't even think so of people who have been doing 2d animation at that time mm-hmm. right so 2d animation as we know it had certain hubs in india which it started out from and i i was in one of those lucky such hubs basically and none of these places you would be able to start off without having at least one or two animators who came from uh the very famed and the uh, shemohan basically and i too had some seniors from there who came on and whom i started learning stuff sorry vikram your audio got flip. cut off yep. maybe you can just repeat that last bit oh yeah sure oh yeah sure so which which is the part that okay so basically back in the day when i started uh you couldn't have started in animation in 2d animation not known a few certain people from rob mohan Okay. Ram Mohan was the legend. He's called as the father of animation in India. Even at Gafex, uh, the year before we kind of commemorated him, uh, that was the year end that he passed away too. So I'm glad we did that in time. So I, I was also gifted to join uh, a bunch of seniors in starting up this company uh, from Ram Mohan, whom I literally had started out from, you know, like learning cleanup and in betweening and 2D, and work my way to being an animator. Not, not. It didn't take me too long. It took me a year to get there. and then milibajus was a company is a company from paris from and militoons was formed as a company a subsidiary in india and chennai basically is that still functioning no uh, it i think uh, it lasted about 5 6 years basically okay. overall the movement to 3d had set in very early so everybody who was wanting to do stuff uh, in animation was considering doing it in 3d back then and all their investments because we were enjoying a uh, tax holiday a tax break by being associated with the it industry okay so animation was brought under the it sector to get it some benefits and also it was very typical that you know 
it a lot of animation companies were a shoot offshoot of uh, some IT company a software company or something because they had access to buying softwares and they were looking at stuff and they were like okay you know what can we do with these softwares could we do something there were those who had an industrial application for it which was to do simulations walkthroughs or you know CAD CAM designs and those who thought why not this which is entertainment and it's going to be big so that's that's the kind of uh, batch that I started out with uh, early on in. 95 96 and there's and this advantage of being early on the pulse that you get to be at the cutting edge at that time and you're developing as well as learning at such an early stage in your career whereas right. a similar situation 20 years down the line or something like that now you're just filled in a studio with maybe 1000 or 2000 people so you almost get lost in that crowd that's that's true but i wouldn't call it cutting edge actually when i look back at it in retrospect now mm-hmm. because uh it's like learn, so, some of these skills are like learning balance on a bicycle no matter how many forefathers of mine would have learned it i still have to learn it for myself right it's not encoded in my dna probably the ability to and the and the proximity to it was better so we were all just catching to light from a distant star there's nothing that disney hadn't done in the, in the 1930s and 40s well we were still not a free country that we didn't do later yeah that's true right so yeah so it, it but as an industry a lot of things are happening then because that was the advent of uh, 2d animation softwares like toon boom and so many other things from canada somehow canada always seemed to be making fantastic softwares at that time back in the day and uh, yeah there was this whole movement of outsourcing stuff basically which is completely going on and which sometimes is taboo for some people they don't want to be known as a part of an outsourced industry or be part of the thousand that you speak about now and uh, yeah i mean things have changed things the whole terrain the landscape of change quite a bit uh, some of that kind of animation has become uh, very boutique and very niche right now right like you see something like a klaus and you like, just about to bring oh, that wow, up that's, yeah that's exotic <laughs> klaus and even well, some that, of the 2d animation episodes in love death and robots i mean that entire yeah. series was yeah. really well done and really well done the thing is somehow i'm still fine J- japan has always been at a different level i feel when it comes to 2d animation i mean they they've been consistent yeah i mean they have mastered that craft and they've been so dedicated towards that side of the industry that very true even about story music editing i mean it's all I think, there together i think I think it's not just animation. I think it's a cultural thing that seeps into everything that they do. They have economy of words. They have economy of expression. They have economy of space. They have economy of movement in their animation. They have, they they make do with the most minimal things, which is like I like that something essential about their designers that there's a lot of breathing room around anything that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. There's some information. There's a lot of breathing room, which is part of that information, which is. in itself makes a beautiful composition basically uh and also allows the viewer or the the person who's experiencing it the listener or the viewer or if it's a space the person is walking through it to appreciate how much negative space is required in order to you know see correctly yeah that extreme of contrast is something that's quite beautiful over there especially correct. i mean if you look at it from a point of view of design in india specifically which is a lot more I mean how do I put it it's a lot more louder in the kind of aesthetic that they are presenting that mm-hmm. 
then that minimal aesthetic attracts one even more because it's something quite different from what you've grown up around. Right. India is still a paradox for me. Mm-hmm. I have no word, ultimate word on it because I think I don't think I'll ever figure it out in my this entire life because the one thing about it is that the fact that you've grown up in a nation which has over 24, 25 languages, known main st- strains, right? If you take up each one language after that, it's got different strains to it. Uh, first of all, it's incredible, right? Uh, for me, that's so much variety. In the art, if you look at it, there's so much variety. There have been ages, there have been periods. And right, you're right, we, we like embellishing, we like decreating. There are also forms of art, of folk art and traditional art, which are also very similar to what I'm saying in philosophy, like the Japanese, which is to also have a lot of breathing space and room, basically. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of tanka art, which started originally when, you know, these parts were undisputed in India. We look at, you know, mandalas and you look at all these things and design and pattern. It just gets complex as it adds up. There are very simple, beautiful things which you could just relax and keep it on a wall and enjoy it in a day. And you could just keep staring at it because there's something about the composition of those forms that magically gets you like ambient music does. Right, right? that's true. In, in the case of Japan, it's just that I see a nation that's been trashed by nature with so many earthquakes and so many tsunamis and it's constantly torrent, right? It's an ever-shifting tectonic plate. So I think somehow, somewhere, they're able to stay time where time itself is not granted for them. They could be here today and probably a sinking uh, piece of land, you know, with just some shift. And I think that the, the value of time, the value of just the time, that Time is a continuum, but we are here for a limited time on this planet. I think gives them a kind of poetic uh, beauty in anything that they do, basically. Speed is incredible, right? Like when they named all their own, I think they had about four lines of uh, bullet trains. And I think when they brought in the fifth one, they had already named everything, right? The force of nature, lightning and everything. So they had, a, they had a task to name the final one. And whoever named it came up with the thought, the Japanese word, which meant thought. Oh, okay. So that's the fastest that we know in this world. Yeah, I had no idea about that. That's quite fascinating. It's fascinating, right? Because even as a lightning bolt, right, erupts, which is, we know that as the largest visible phenomenon. Thought is something probably just constantly on and you don't even control it, right? And I see, you can see trickles of it and something like the grave of fireflies, Mm -hmm. Pokoroso, Maneibo Totoro, the Yamadas. Everything. That, uh, stuff that you like from Japan, I know that uh, speaking about uh, you know things like Mononoke, again, they've addressed this whole problem of you know man's uh, trust with nature long ago. Much earlier, yeah, exactly. Now these things are becoming more mainstream, but that thought and that yeah. story was there much earlier. I think we'll get to a better place that once we move away from being a capitalistic dump yard, dumping in ground, right? <laughs> goods and products and things like that. Just give us the RTX cards and get out. It's like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then there's always the next generation of the cards that people are waiting for. So. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, just, just give us the things that we need to... Uh, there's a beautiful uh, novel called The Day After, I think by Jeffrey Archer, about uh, the events that took place after the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the main things that he says at the end of it or you know, somewhere in between is to speak about how a lot of help came, right, in the form of guilt, in the form of, you know, okay, we've got to build the country back. Uh, and how they adopted, how they kind of like borrowed uh, technology, but adopted tradition. 
so that's a, that's a beautiful layer right so i think somewhere at some point we've had the storytelling i think we both have also discussed about it we've had different forms of storytelling the canvas has changed and keeps changing but it's going to be some sort of glass right i feel talking about sort of like reflective. this um, everlasting storytelling so to speak i feel the architecture in india has been the most prominent as for me much much more than painting so, even no matter the oldest temple or oldest structure i don't know you you know better authentically how, how what what is the long oldest structure that you see i personally have seen structures from the 12th century ad and even earlier 8th century ad almost like you know 1500 years old structures like that i mean especially i don't know if you've been to the khajuraho temple complex uh, as no, well as the temple complex in aurangabad i think where they have this entire rock face which has been carved over many generations and the beautiful thing wow. over there is that the kingdom over there moved from a buddhist period to a hindu period to even the gods yeah. that they were worshiping so the temple complex changes and the style of the carvings changes and when you walk past that it's like you're walking past 7800s of years of history and it's a pretty amazing thing to witness at one go and it's something that yeah. you can either just walk past without realizing the significance of it and just treat it like a carving but if you actually sit back yeah. and understand what all must have happened for that to come to this point and yeah that's right. a pretty dramatic thing if you think about it incredible stuff basically so i've always like uh what hesitated to discuss the country that we are with in context with the world but i think that it it without confusion in my brain is the most advanced or has been right at some point in time i would just love to see that glory back at some point i think those are like ebbs and flows that happen from different cultures and civilizations absolutely absolutely the moment you research something you can't help but appreciate it that's where it comes from i guess for me mm-hmm. so i keep i'm like a what do you say an armchair philosopher and a couch surfer and all my journeys through the internet is fantastic it's like funny because i remember one particular time that me and my mother were sitting and watching discovery travel living program or something in the ganges and you know the perfect shot that they get of the morning race on the ganga and everything i was like have you been here she was like yes i have i said i surely want to go and see she said, trust me it smells better here <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so it is then that i really like you realize that in india unfortunately i like my digitally synthesized world because stepping outside as an ordeal yeah i mean that is where that chaos comes in you know it's like that's yeah. i mean that's why i feel like why why do so many people from other countries want to come and experience this culture here and also for us to go to countries abroad because it's not about just the chaos or the minimalism it's the contrast in culture that you don't get to experience around your surroundings you want to experience that right. and then even more so as creatives or as artists you need some other kind of stimulus to start seeing what other things can be possible for me personally i mean i haven't been there but iceland is a location where i would really love to go at some point because those okay. are some of the most beautiful and dramatic landscapes that i have seen on screen yeah most and, challenging looking yeah i mean it's got a completely different feel to it right even in terms of the so. tone and the mood it feels much harsher and colder compared to what Yeah. the mountain ranges that we have in india which are quite lush and more inviting in a way you could say maybe not true for yeah. all locations no, obviously 
it's inviting everything looks inviting if you actually go up to the mountains of india you'll you'll, you'll see the actual challenge it's interesting that's true <laughs> we have the tallest peaks here that's like lay the city of lay is at 11000 feet mm-hmm. right it's something that will sink in sink in after 3 days after you get there because it takes you that much time to get acclimatized the oxygen is there the moment you step outside the pressure conditioned plane if you go there by plane you'll realize that oh god probably i should have you know taken the road because you slowly acclimatize the moment you go there you're already like almost gasping for breath and then it starts <laughs> yeah that's yeah, it's harsh and inviting at the same time that's true but i can relate to what you're t- telling me because visually visually i think whenever i've looked at you know movies like walter mitty or something which says island iceland of course these are alternative locales that they film at but i'll be looking at iceland and i know that that looks harsh i can't do a day over there even it's that harsh <laughs> i won't fancy myself trekking there yeah it's that kind of exotic quality to it which you have from yeah. a different perspective yeah so i was actually curious like i mean you have worked in different studios as well as worked freelance over many years now how hard or easy is it to stay relevant or keep updating yourself each time you move to a new place for me it's second nature that's how it flows for me but when i look at people in general i see it as a how do i put it it's like two things right one which i said is that you're a product of uh, a production pipeline right and you are a product of a production pipeline therefore you become a slave to it so it gives you a certain comfort zone it gives you security of that comfort zone of working in a certain way and also immune to you know like other problems basically which is that when you're working by yourself you have a lot of things that you have to keep your eye out for peripheral vision if you update your software freeware aren't easy you know they're not the perfect solution everything you have to keep updating something might not function something might not function with your tablet protocol the tablet protocol not may, may not function with your system so you're, without even realizing it becomes second nature to constantly keep updating yourself you're looking at dependencies you're looking at possibilities you're looking at things getting out of so you're kind of keeping yourself a little bit how do i say it like on a hot plate you're not trying to settle down and i think that's a that's a good nature to be basically to welcome in changes to keep moving forward to keep updating like today i was telling you about how i've been learning some of the procedural stuff that's pure physics that pure math involved in it right that's constant that's never going to change the software that we do it the processes that we used to do it probably at some point very soon all these complex node trees other than the fact that you feel like a mathematician doing a complex trigonometry or something like that unless not to you trip only on that it's going to be made stupid as in you want glass here are some 1500 varieties of glass right you want smart materials which will scale up without having loading on your memory or you know loading on your scene value everything's going to be here because there's always somebody working to compute to make life easy right so at some point uh what's going to also happen is that the fact so that's going to give power to a lot more people as well to get in so which has always been what do you say the cv graph the the resume graph of a 3d specialist which is to say that oh i've spent about 10 years in maya and i've done this 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 and this tomorrow something just comes over like a tsunami and wipes out everything and says okay level playing ground yeah it makes all that irrelevant means, yeah which means that the average art college student he or she would be able to have equal opportunity as me what really matters is their experience with the world uh let's say 
it, it's not about the larger picture or the movie that I'm talking about. I'm saying even creating a surface, a table, a chair. It's just about information. What information each of us hold. But then that experience that you've gained obviously has a lot of value as well, right? Because you're able knowledge, to it's, knowledge itself is not permanent, mm-hmm. right? My experience does not result in your experience. Uh, I would have had twenty years of experience in this, and I would be trying to tell you something that just may not matter tomorrow. Is what I'm trying to say now. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah that's a so that's like saying that. That's like that's like saying like when Doom one or three was released, I was the ace gamer. And I would say hand over controls today and say, okay, pitting you against this kid who's about seven years old. Go play. Let's see who's got best dexterity skills. And I can tell you that I would put my money probably in somebody who's been concurrent at it today. Because things have changed. Things are evolving. It's about how much you're getting used to. And of course, there are building steps, right? You need, you need to step one, step two, step three. You need to climb it that way. But you don't need 30 steps is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Basically. Familiarity has got a very brief uh, time and it changes, right? Like the smartphone usage, right? For example, like when iPhone 1 came, the stupid thing did not have copy-paste. Can you believe that? Oh, I did not know that. It did not have cut-paste of copy-paste. That was incredibly annoying. You couldn't cut out a sentence that you had written. You can't cut out a word. You have to retype it. Even right? though it was the cutting-edge so, product at that time. Correct. So if I was to offer a phone to my mother, a cell phone to my mother at that time, that was easy for her to use once I had stored in the numbers. Today, she's using three mobile phones, deft, right? Which is, uh, she's using one just as a smartphone for that size. She's, she's using it almost like a computer, but for that size, right? She doesn't have a SIM card in that. Okay. Or she has one. And she says that I use this for all my video and editing purpose. She's an artist too. And then she has another phone for the purpose of a phone. So people have learned to use technology easier, is what I feel. So there you go. One thing I don't know I if that answered. No, it, it does answer parts of it, definitely. I noticed this um, dichotomy that when I joined Dhruva, I was like interacting with a lot of people. And then I felt a very weird sensation from a couple of people who had been working for many years they started giving me this sense that oh i'm jaded in the industry this this work is boring nothing seemed to be going well for them and it was a very weird feeling because you've just joined a new studio and some of the people are already giving you this sort of negative vibe towards the industry especially coming out of fzd where you had this very energetic sensibility people are like collaborating there's friendly competition you're learning every day and to come to that point where, of course, there were a lot of people who were enjoying the work as well, but there was also that set of people who felt jaded with the industry. And the funny thing was, it's not like they've been working for too long also. It was like six years or eight years, which I don't think is that long a period because if you look at like a director like Steven Spielberg or Ridley Scott, I mean, they've been working for many lifetimes if I compare it with my age. So if they can keep that fire burning for so long, so why do you think people get into that trap? I think it's because people divide the need that they do art for. If you're talking about art and the arts, basically, which is that, okay, I'm a session recordist, guitarist, mm-hmm. right? I'm just going and playing something in C major coming back. Sometimes I would do it just for the money because I don't have other options. I think a lot of people pursue it that way. I know the skill I'm earning through this. So it's a vocation for them, right? You know, you're talking about a mass of people 
if you look at a large part of society, not everybody likes what they're doing. It's not just art, right? True. Somebody is a banker, but his interest is something else. He's probably only keen on his next vacation. He needs his job just to pay the bills, take care of the EMIs. I think as humanity, we are broadly that. That's why you see uh, mediocrity as well. So for me, it's always been a waking nature on my daily part that you know it's like do the stuff that you don't enjoy doing about the job or a task first, which is like like for example, tomorrow's Monday, I would be probably doing a little bit of mailing and you know all that. I'd keep it ready right now. I won't be uh, setting out everything. I'd keep all my homework done, okay. or rather my week's work done. When I enter tomorrow, I would just look at it as what value can I add to the project today. And then it's just right? pure so creation at that point. Pure creation that somebody else's creation. I'm working for a movie right now and uh, it's got a director in it, a very well-known director in it. I don't even see it as my product. right? I'm looking at it purely as his product. I'm saying, okay, what do I add on uh, this person's movie today? What could be of good value for this whole thing? right? So I think it's a personal... Uh, philosophy or the way anybody functions that they make uh, it's easy also to make everything that you do a natural part of your life so it's not against the grain it's not like two shirts that you wear one to go out and one to sit at home right it's you it's it's just you basically this is me at work this is me at home i'm the same person right which is to say that passion and being dispassionate with balance with equilibrium mm-hmm. and the eagerness you always reserve a zone saying, of course, after work or after studies, there's like this playtime. I would go out to the ground where I meet my friends, right? So you, if you anticipate learning in that sort of a way, right, it becomes good. And to that extent, I would always say that like, like the way that we're talking now, to form a good peer group of learners. That's true. If learning was your motive, your friends would change. Because you'd be in a group that's buzzing, active, alive, contributing, because that's the kind of energy that you had on a playground once saying that, man, that guy's uh, uh, offspin, I'm not able to play. I better, you know, kind of this thing. And you're talking, and there's another friend who's telling you, use the bat, use the outside of the bat this way. Uh, you know, you're you're playing way outside the crease probably. You need to rein it and They give you several tips and tricks. So this is what we're all doing to each other in the learning process. And therefore, the excitement. Mm-hmm. They and need when, to get better. And when that learning mindset is there, then you're able to talk and approach anybody, basically. So, yeah, second nature, right? Yeah. It's easier to make friends that way. Absolutely. And I think as you keep doing it more, that energy starts coming out of you and then people start noticing that more and more and are more open and willing to talk to you, you know, because Very you true. kind of put that out there that you're somebody who's wanting to learn, you're somebody who's willing to talk Very to other people and then people are also more inclined to continue that conversation. Very true. No, I've been equally guilty of uh, like, I think it's a general phenomenon, which is that people hoard stuff, information. Mm-hmm. I would buy like 10 videos that I don't get need from Gumroad on a subject, right? But I realized that more and more I interacted with people, I learned more from them. And then when they would recommend saying, hey, go over this, it's explained over here better, that I would actually feel inclined to go saying, oh my God, he's already done it, I better do this. So there's also that positive motivation and it's not competitiveness, but it's more about uh, egging on a friend positively. That's true. So, I mean, kind of that same thing comes into when you set up GAFX as well as your collaboration with THU, bringing that community together. How was that experience? Of course, that's, 
I truly read somewhere, and I believe so that proximity to youth is youth itself, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking by about mingling only with younger people. I mean to say, youthful, uh, youthful is as a phrase, youthful as a thought is what happens to all of us. Let's say when we meet after a long time, and we all have first that first level of, "Hi, how are you? How are you doing? You know, it's been a while since we met, and what's up? That's cool." Uh, we have so much to talk, just like that, as people, right? The social people that we are. And gatherings are always very important for me, and setting that ambience, getting that mindset to come in, participation basically, uh, participative working towards this is our road that we are laying in order to travel to the destination that we desire to travel to is the way I look at it basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that involvement. And how did you get involved with the founders of THU in terms of? Bringing that community back, but to... buying a ticket, okay, Bu- buying a ticket and going there for the first time. I was sitting probably in a job at Zynga where I was a manager, and uh, I remember that I would be walking around with uh, my laptop to meeting rooms and back to the desk, and I felt something like a waiter in a restaurant holding a tray. <laughs> right, and I was. I'm not even joking. My probably my <laughs> my. It's not that it's a lowly job. I mean to say that I felt like that, you know, I'm serving people, but what am I doing? You know, I'm neither the chef, nor am I the, the customer. I'm the guy who's picking something from point A to dropping it to point B and ensuring that the team and the pipeline works such. I felt that I'd been uh, missing a mentor, uh, somebody who's senior and fantastic in skills, in 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 first person in the flesh right yeah that's a different experience so I, very truly so it had been probably my last teacher that i worked with was like probably a decade ago or a couple of years ago or my many 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 years ago so then i realized that it's not often uh, you know healthy to coast right on initial momentum i realized that i was just coasting and however self motivated one may be uh, it's most important to go face your fears of show your work to somebody to their face and get brutally taken down right and destroy what you think you are yeah. <laughs> and if you anyway had social so i mean low self esteem it's better to even rip it apart to shreds so that you could build better from there so i don't know if it was just that or the interaction or something and i said who are the people in the world that you would love to meet I said, "Wow, I used to trip so much on Glenkin. Where is he? Probably he's sitting in some chateau in France, and it's very difficult. But he ventured out anywhere to the watering holes, the, where all the animals gather. And one such icon for me uh, is Ian McKay. Okay. So I literally went on to the internet and I was trying to look at what he does. Does he offer any master classes? Does he, you know, participate? At that time, he was not even partnering with Bobby Chu on Scorosum, not yet." And uh, I realized that a lot of videos that I'm talking to him are coming from this place on this event, particular event in Portugal, which is THU. And I was like, what is THU? And then I went over to the website. There was a bunch of videos from the previous years that they'd compiled as volumes. I actually purchased it because they were like fantastic. All my art heroes in one place. I couldn't believe it. I thought it's some place which is like Khan or something where it's expensive in terms of uh, it's for industry, what do you say, recognition of talent or whatever. I realized that it's neither a festival, nor is it something like Annecy, neither is it a bazaar. So what is it? And that's how I discovered it. And I went there, 
I had to obviously make the investment of time, effort, and uh, money in order to go there and discover it. I think it was one of the best discoveries personally mm-hmm. for myself. So that's how I came upon that. And obviously, you wanted to bring about a part of that back to where you are from, and I could bring that energy back into Gafix that we did in Bangalore, saying. You know, there's a lot more energy. Let's call in a lot more people. I want to meet people that I've not met over here, over the internet, whose art that I've liked a lot. How was that energy so like? Because not everyone is able to go to another country to attend a particular festival. They could be from any part of the world. But when you bring such an event back to the place where you left, what is that right. energy like? Where a lot of people are coming together for the first time and kind of interacting and showcasing their work. You're saying at THU? At GAFX specifically. At GAFX, you're saying. So I, I didn't bring back the event, right? I brought back some energy from it. Of course, I did do a massive show and tell about the event of THU over here as well. Uh, the energy, the, the excitement is very high, especially with people your generation and younger mm-hmm. coming straight off to this thing. And I think uh, one of the good things that happens is that like whenever we travel overseas, it's not that... You're traveling that far. You might also want to see one or two places nearby. And likewise, I went to something that I really wanted to see, which is the Sistine. I wanted to see the Sistine Chapel in the museums of the Vatican. And I told myself when I went there, like, I'm discovering it at 40-something. And I shouldn't have even started my art journey without having been here first. <laughs> right? That's the it's one thing to. That, yeah. I would strongly recommend that. I would say that in your life, you'll make anybody from this point who's young, would make much more money down the line, right? 10 years later. So blow all the money right now, beg, borrow, steal and go there. Because I don't know how long these things would be there in that form. It's already in a dilapidated or compared to its glory days, right? So it's one thing to read Agony and Ecstasy and Irving Stone's book about Michelangelo and imagine it in your head. Another thing to go and stand in front of the damn creation, right? It's breathtaking. It's interesting. And once you get over that layer, you can sit there and study it. You yeah. can actually know things for yourself. That is first person. So just to access information, yes, it, it is expensive to travel outside. Not everybody can, but there's nothing like it because what we see in the internet is a very pale shadow. So once I went there in a very similar way to just backtrack from there and answer this energy, uh, that was for me a larger opening in my head, I would say, the, the visit to some of the museums that I've been in. And I really realized that we do not have public spaces here in this country. That's a very big, like large parks, just a beautiful man-made or natural lake where people can just sit silent around it and uh, you know just gaze into nothing. Uh, one such thing, immersion is very important for artists is a couple of days event, an event which is at least for, like we meet each other repetitively for a few days coming from different parts of the country. And uh, I think it's a very large, beautiful thing because it's the live networking. Today, everybody that I bring to work for me at Radio 5 is somebody that I've seen whose art pointed out by, you know, one of you guys that I keep interacting with uh, constantly. And it's through that 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 network spreads, right? And obviously, the, the people who do their art and them, there's some story about them. So that energy you get again only in person yeah. when you meet. So there is always that beauty to it. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I was, I I somehow wasn't able to attend that event for some reason. I don't know why. I, I knew about it, but things didn't line up in terms of the time. And I was quite... You live in a different uh, city <laughs> within the city. 
it's yeah. called white shield yeah that's true <laughs> and then of course like this year the event couldn't take place but hopefully next year it can happen and we can yeah. kind of meet up yeah, again yeah, sure. right so yeah i mean i don't want to take up too much more of your time i just wanted to touch up on one one or two last topics one was specifically your interaction with the younger students sure. you've been spending a lot of time teaching people what has that kind of been okay. like for you yeah as i said uh, i think a lot of things that i'm seeing which is interesting in the in the landscape of education if i go to even students or not art students but school students right now whom i work with as well uh, i can see that the schooling patterns have changed also on a lot of of course some are privileged some are not so privileged uh, but younger children seem to be adapting to learning couple of skills at the same time they are into art as well as coding and programming so i'm liking that all sides of your brain are getting massaged by all this information mm-hmm. and you're able to apply uh, i have to be very careful eh, because i think increasingly you know i i know lesser when i meet the next generation right uh, it's very exciting to keep that to keep that fear right in front of my face that i could be obsolete tomorrow Mm-hmm. right that my context to this whole uh, world could be my art could be saleable that's different right i'm saying my context to you as a person to add value in your uh, life has to be contextual right i have to teach you a skill uh, you have to be able to apply it and it should work for you right so to keep that context i also have to therefore know the things that you know you like you trip on you're watching you're reading uh you know what's trending what's your pet peeve what do you hate about this country what do you love about this country what do you think about politics i i it doesn't happen without that a little bit of interface of that otherwise it becomes too clinical mm-hmm. right and if anything i hate clinical education that becomes right? too i don't mind it when i'm yeah when i receive it i don't mind it now because time is this thing i'm like okay just tell me the things and get out of the place right when i'm <laughs> learning an online program right but i think one of the most enriching aspects of learning itself is interaction so interaction in itself is an art mm-hmm. right that's why you have the subject called pedagogy within teaching it's the art of teaching right i don't i'm not qualified in any of these things by you know by virtue of education like i didn't get educated in those it's just naturally getting set so i like this whole uh, gurukula kind of an experience that's there in terms of the sophisticated parts of it which is uh samvadana which is like equal argument mm-hmm. right on an equal status i tell you a point and you tell me something back on it because skill is one thing i can tell you that two dots are there and if you can you know connect it it becomes a line and here's a perspective line and here's the fin ways of doing perspective so these are zeros and ones absolutes basically you'll get the skill or you won't get the skill based on your practice but conversation is around story it's some story it's your story my story it's a story of a temple it's a story of another country uh, we are all trying to tell a story so we're building layers over here is what i really feel and constantly that bridging is a very important aspect of my life uh, for me because it's a very very staple diet for me as well as uh, a conduit i see myself as a conduit i don't see myself as a giver mm-hmm. right i connect people i connect people i still am the guy lifting the tray and walking around but in this social sphere of uh, teaching i really like it basically. yeah because there you you are getting something back as well because you are enriching Absolutely. yourself by talking to other people and of course that interaction Absolutely. like you mentioned 
Absolutely. Sometimes I've not tried out a tutorial or you haven't, but I remember like a couple of months ago, I was asking something on, uh, you know, like uh, texturing or box projection or something. And you said, probably you haven't tried it, but this could work. And you sent something over to me. Yeah. That's the beauty about it, right? Which is that we all know lots of information and it does nothing by residing in our brains alone. Yeah. I mean, that opportunity has to come for you to use that knowledge at some point. And yeah, that is why you try out different types of art or design where these different technology or knowledge can be applied. So absolutely. kind of leading into that, the last thing that I wanted to touch upon was you spent a lot of time developing ideas and storyboards on your spare time. What do you see mm-hmm. as the future for those ideas? Do you want to develop them by yourself or collaborate with other people? Of course. What's, do you of have course. anything that's in mind it, currently? It, it would be projects that I would open up to others, obviously. I think that a person by himself or herself can achieve only so much. Mm-hmm. I could do probably a graphic novel by myself. I could probably do a short film by myself. Uh, if I want to do anything beyond, it requires a team, certainly, most certainly. And again, there's a joy of trying to achieve something larger. And therefore, certainly, I have a lot of film ideas. I have short film ideas. And when I'm saying short film itself, it will be longer than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Nothing short of five minutes. And as an IP, if you look at it, it would be saleable to say, let's do a series on this. Right? Obviously, that's that's how we look at things. So obviously, I'm kind of trying to, I would be prototyping stuff in art. Uh, and the joy of adding layers with people is what really opens up. I've actually been thinking about, you know, like at some point, launching my own uh, open project, basically. And uh, I would like to see what could happen with something like that. So what do you mean when you say and, you know, open what, project? Is that something where people come on board and it's like flexible? Where people collaborate and then they can part ways. Contribute. Yeah, okay. contribute and develop it basically. Which is one way to do this, to keep it open-ended. Of course, I do have a certain vision for things that I would like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometime in the past, let me tell you, 15 years before a phenomenon that I experienced over the internet, which became a movie was um, The Secret of Kells. Have you heard about it? No, I don't think so. The Secret of Kells is a fantastic 2D animated film which comes from Cartoon Salon, right? And Cartoon Salon guys did this by collaborating with animators around the world, designers, animators, the world. they were like two from five people from Hungary uh, and so on. Tom Moore is the director. So Tom Moore is somebody that uh, Pixar had celebrated also by inviting him in-house and said, this is the contender who gave us the tough competition of the Oscars, basically. Oh, okay. So don't think that you guys are the cat's whiskers. So these guys are the, a small little fly on the wall who are trying to you know, chop away at it. So they used to put up model sheets, everything, every next week once it was made online. So it's so like at the time where people thought, like, I mean, oh, that's, that's IP. The, Don't... Sharing that development yeah. process right at the beginning. Completely. It was done on a development blog. I, I don't know if the blog still exists, but it might with all the design. And if you could look at the date, it was 2007 or something like that. Ooh, okay. And I really realized that that's brilliant because I've only met bosses and people who guarded IP and stuff like that. And here's a beautiful way because you never know. Like I look at some of the Blender open projects. It looks fantastic. Yeah. You look at some of the epic mega grand projects also where people could contribute. It looks fantastic. Um, it's that serendipity. It's that collab which could really take things forward. And you surely know that people who would want to contribute strongly on it will stay and do something with it. 
So yeah, that was there. Because today, I'll tell you, budgets, like if you want to budget your film, what would it have been? It's a question that I leave you with, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't have to answer me on that. But I'm just saying that today, it costs nothing. Or you could put a value to it and say it cost me and so much to amount, do it. Because yeah. it's what a, yeah, it's what a company would do. But actually, it's just an effort. It's about being there and some time. Yeah, it'll be awesome. interesting to see Lovely that. conversation. Definitely. Thanks a lot for coming here yeah, once again. I mean, it's been awesome. a while since we spoke. So I was really happy that we could do this again. And yeah, hopefully my we pleasure, can my pleasure. catch up soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Siddharth. Your, your work is also very inspiring. Look forward for your short films release soon. Thank you. Any Thank clue? You. Soon. I mean, now it's just the technical limitations of my hardware that are taking a bit of time. But the project is okay. nearly there. Yeah. So hopefully it's going to be awesome. Out soon. Awesome. All the all the very best and Godspeed for that. And I'm sure that it's going to do a lovely route in this festival circuit probably in 2021. That's the hope. Let's see. Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Vikram. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Most welcome.